Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, and thank you for joining me again for part two of our Big Reputation message series which is kind of a big deal because this is the very beginning of our journey through the life of Jesus as we walk through the book of Matthew. Now, as followers of Jesus, we wanna live like he lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. And we learn these patterns and habits by examining his life and applying those lessons. So this is a really important journey that we are taking together as a church, and I'm really excited about it here as we're really just kind of getting it started. Now, you may not be aware of this, but your reputation is more important than it has ever been. We live in a time where a person can get canceled for a tweet or for being associated with the wrong group or for being too public about who they voted for or for not saying something on social media. It's crazy how the way that other people perceive us can have such a huge impact on nearly every part of our lives, at work, at school, at home. I mean, it can really affect you, your reputation. So to illustrate this, I did a little experiment and I did a deep dive this week into the social media accounts of one specific person from our church. I looked at all their photos, all their posts, and all of the articles they shared. I look at the comments that they've made on other people's posts and I compiled some of the crazier and more messed up things that they have done online into a short slideshow, okay? So fair warning, Someone might have a reputation problem after this. So, is it, is it not playing? Well, that's because I didn't really do that. And I wouldn't do that to you. You wouldn't want me to do that to you. I know you wouldn't because you want to protect your reputation. And I bet somebody is very relieved because you know if someone did a deep dive of your socials and shared your highlights with the world, it could be really bad for your reputation. And that, honestly, that might be true of all of us to some degree. So in part one of the Big Reputation series last week, we discovered that one of the keys to Jesus's big reputation was the fact that he went beyond what was required of him in order to do what was right. And that attitude, that way of thinking was one that pleased God so much that God literally said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy in whom I am well pleased. Jesus went beyond what was required of him to do what was right. And we are going to pick up immediately after that moment where God spoke about his son in Matthew chapter four, verse one. And this is what it says. It says that then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So this is kind of interesting to me because Jesus was just baptized before this in what was really the inaugural act that was going to start off his ministry and introduce him to the world. I mean, you would think that right after Jesus would would be baptized and introduced to the world that he would get right into the mix, building his following, teaching people, getting the ball rolling with the momentum that he had from his public baptism and the ministry handoff that he had from John the Baptist. But that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, all alone with no food, where as we are going to see, he's tempted 
by the devil. Why would he do that? And the best answer to that is really just because God asked him to. The Holy Spirit led him there. And he followed. And for 40 days, he fasted out in the wilderness until, as one would expect, he became very hungry. And in that moment, that moment of hunger, that moment of weakness, Satan shows up to tempt him three times. And in these three temptations, we get a really good look at what motivated Jesus and, spoiler alert, how Jesus made the right call. So the story continues in verse 3. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we're going to learn three things about Jesus in this desert temptation that he goes through. And and the first thing we're going to learn is that Jesus put God's desires over his own physical desires. Now, I've studied this a lot and I've been reading a lot about this in preparation and I've, I've read a lot of opinions. But for the life of me, I cannot find any reason why being tempted to turn stones into bread when you're hungry is a bad thing. I mean, first off, Jesus is starving. If he can turn a stone into bread to take the edge off, I don't think anyone would judge him for that. It's not like he's going to be out there hot-dogging it and making chocolate fountains or, you know, turning everything into cloudy with a chance of meatballs. If a starving man can make a rock into bread, what's the big deal? Now, I know he was fasting, which is an important spiritual discipline, but let me just be honest and transparent with you. There have been times in my life where I planned to fast for three days and I only made it 2.86 days before eating. There have definitely been times where I was fasting and I ate a piece of chocolate that was sitting around before I even realized it was in my mouth. So I have failed the fasting test. But when I look at this, I just, I don't know. I don't see that as something that is that big a deal. And when Jesus is tempted, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 and refuses to do what the devil asks him to do. So why? And the simple answer is the same reason he went into the desert. Why not eat? Why keep fasting? Because God asked him to. And and when Jesus said no, he literally put what God wanted over his own physical desires and needs, over his own body. And he did it because he understood that God's way is the best way, even if it means going without physically. Now, this is important. Because our culture tells us that if something feels good, do it. If it tastes good, eat it. If it looks good, touch it. And food, for honest, is not our only physical desire. Not to step on toes, well, maybe a little stepping on toes, but one area of your life that you may have been unwilling to submit your desires to God is your sexuality. Maybe you don't think sex outside of God's marriage plan is a big deal. Maybe it's not a big deal, the same way turning a stone to bread to feed a starving man isn't that big a deal. Maybe you think your desires are too great to ignore, maybe like someone who hasn't eaten in 40 days. But God has designed a way for human sexuality to be expressed in his kingdom. It's his plan. And Jesus models for us a way of thinking about our bodies, one in which we put God's desires over our own physical desires. And Jesus lived it. And if you can do that, I can promise you that God's way is the best way, even if it means going without 
physically, the same way Jesus did. So, okay, next temptation, verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now, again, why not just do this? I mean, if I could jump off a building and be fine, I would never leave my house out the front door again. I would leap out of my bedroom window every time I got in the car. And the thing is that Jesus let God tell him when to use his power and when not to. Jesus had power. He, all the power of God, according to him. But just like he did with his body, he submitted his power to his father. He used it only in the ways that God directed him to. And that's why when Satan quoted scripture at Jesus, that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.16. And don't take my word for it about the fact that Jesus only used his power the way God directed. Take his John 5, 19, so Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what, what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. And then in John 12, 49, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. The father who has sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And then Jesus tells us why he held his power back unless God directed it why he waited for God to guide him and tell him what to do. And he said himself in Mark 14, 36, I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he taught all of us that in the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6, 10, when he said, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus believed that God's way of doing things was better than our own way of doing things. And Jesus lived it out. He let God tell him when to use his power and when not to. Which leads us to the final temptation in verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now, <clears throat> this out of all of them seems like a real temptation to do something that is totally wrong. Worship me instead of God and I will give you the power to do what you want to do, what you came to do. I mean, honestly, Jesus, you can do it on your own terms now. You can do it faster and you can do it without having to suffer and die. Satan is offering Jesus a path to do what Jesus believed God's work to be without doing it God's way. Satan's offering Jesus political power. He's offering him the power of nations and governments. And this is interesting because Jesus went through the same temptation that we face to use political power to advance our spiritual agenda. But again, Jesus refuses, quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. And the reason is that Jesus trusted God's plan even when another one looked better. From the vantage point of the top of a mountain, political power 
may have looked a lot easier to Jesus. No cross, no torture, no death. But that wasn't God's plan. And it isn't God's way. And Jesus said no with a verse from the Old Testament. And just in case you thought Jesus was just quoting random scriptures that lined up with whatever he wanted to say, he wasn't. All of his quotations came from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. That's where each passage he quoted is located. And it's a section of the Old Testament where God is calling the people of Israel to a wholehearted commitment to him. See, God had just given Israel the Ten Commandments, and, and now he was imploring them to be fully and completely submitted and surrendered to his plan, to his way of living, and to his love. He was imploring them to put his way first instead of following their own way. And in it, he promised the people of Israel that if they followed his way, that things would go good for them. And he warned them that if they didn't, they would struggle. It's almost as if Jesus, in quoting these passages out of Deuteronomy, was answering God's call to a wholehearted commitment in real time when he was being tempted to do the exact opposite. And look at what happened as a result. Verse 11, then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. God sent angels to take care of Jesus. God responded with exactly what he promised to the people of Israel that if they followed his way, his plan, even when it was hard, even when it went against what they wanted, even when a different way might have seemed better, that he would take care of them. Jesus followed God's way and God took care of him. At the end of the day, in tempting Jesus, Satan was trying to get him to reject God's way and take a different path, his own way. But if there's one thing to learn from this story, it's this. Jesus always did things God's way, not his own. And listen, he's asking the same thing of you. You are invited into a relationship with God where when you do things his way, he will take care of everything else. Follower of Jesus, this is how Jesus lived. It's how he thought. Jesus' surrender to God, it included his body. It included his power, and it included his will, really, which is everything, really. He modeled total surrender to God's plan, and he's asking the same of us. Are you willing to put aside your desires and, his, and embrace his plan for your sexuality? Are you willing to let go of your need to be in control and instead let God guide your steps? And in your deep desire to see God's kingdom come, are you willing to put aside the human, political, and worldly ways that you could maybe make it happen on your own and instead embrace his plan and his timing for his kingdom? Just as Jesus modeled total surrender to us, he is now calling us to live in total surrender to him. So ask yourself, are the areas of my life where I do things my way instead of God's way? In my sex life, in how I take care of my body, in how I advance the causes I care about, in how I use my money? Second, 
What do I need to lay down in order to be totally committed to him? I think answering those questions is the first step to living like he lived and to thinking like he thought and into doing what he taught. And we can do this together. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your guidance and I thank you that you modeled for us through the life of Jesus how you would be calling us to live. And not just following commands, but a life aimed at the best experience we could have on this earth, a life walking in your plans and purposes, and that your promise for the people of Israel, that if we obey you, that things would go well for us, that that promise is still here here for us today. So I pray that you would help us to do just that, God, to help us to surrender our desires, to surrender our rights, to surrender our control, and to surrender our will to you. And as we do, God, help us to walk the best life we could ever live and help us to be Jesus in this world. In your name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.